Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Cyber threats continue to have an immense impact on society, and security risks to mobile devices continue to be at an all-time high. For several years, Nokia has been documenting the most pressing threats around mobile devices in its annual threat intelligence reports that track how malware problems are placed on devices through real-time analytics. According to Nokia's intelligence reports from 2020 and 2021, Trojan malware infections on both computers and mobile devices are on the rise, with privacy and security controls being a priority. To enable a first-level security protection through a security review process, this ensures that an app meets the user protection guidelines before it becomes available to a consumer to download onto their device. And yet, there are legislative proposals in Congress that would weaken mobile device protections by demanding all software can be downloaded on any device without a security review. Even though the Department of Homeland Security has a daily campaign encouraging the use of more security on mobile devices and laptop computers. DHS specifically highlights that the act of sideloading an app is a bad idea because it avoids the first layer of protection, the vetting process that reviews the app security and privacy compliance. Nokia's threat report points out that sideloading is a very popular way to push malware onto users. It's also a common way for a consumer's financial and potentially other personal data to be placed at risk. What can we do to keep our mobile devices out of harm's way? Today's guest is Kevin McNamee. Kevin is the head of Nokia's Threat Intelligence Lab, which analyzes thousands of mobile malware samples every day to create the detection rules that power Nokia's network-based malware detection system. Kevin was previously director of security research at Bell Labs, where he specialized in the analysis of malware propagation and detection. Kevin joins the podcast to explain how we can secure mobile devices both today and in the future through a better understanding of how the exploits are disseminated to ensure better protection for both the device and the user's data stored on the device and in the cloud. Kevin, thank you for joining us on Explain to Shane. I'm a huge fan of the Nokia's yearly threat intelligence report, and I found your recent findings very important on how much data you remind users come off a mobile device and how important it is to have device security. Because I know that's something that we we remind people, but they just, you know, they just keep adding apps to it. And we have a, a, a whole new challenge with Congress is putting forward on sideloading. So it's made making sure that we keep device security front and center even more important. So tell us about your report. Nokia has got a, a product that we deploy in carrier networks uh, around the world. And what it does is it's a, it's a system that's designed to monitor the network traffic and look for evidence of malware infections. So that, that's where the data comes from. Uh, these uh, certain customers of ours will share aggregated, anonymized data and feed it back in. And so that's what makes up the, uh, uh, the threat report. We cover mobile networks, and we've also got some fixed broadband networks we cover. So that gives us a, a sort of a good scope for figuring out what's going on. We've been producing them for the past couple of years. And they're usually quite well received. Uh, the, the, the key thing is it's like real data from live networks. So that's, that's always good. So you're seeing real aggregated data. What have you seen has declined versus what we're seeing an uptick in? Well, what we've seen over the past few years has been, of course, a shift from the traditional Windows laptop and PC platforms to malware transitioning to the smartphone. And uh, seems to make a lot of sense because that's now the primary device that most people are going to use to access the network uh, for their communication purposes, for for their email, for banking, for all sorts of things. So uh, 
typically the malware will follow follow the money and will follow the platform that people are using to uh, to for the for their 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 network connectivity. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is we've also noticed the IoT is is a big area that of, of uh, that's, that's starting to expand. And particularly with 5G networks coming along, there's an anticipation of a great expansion of the number of IoT devices that are going to be deployed out there. So that's an area that we've been looking at fairly closely and expect to see more activity in that that area going forward. I know IoT is a specific challenge because the device manufacturers say they, they make it heavy or put friction points into their devices, they're less apt to be the ones that consumers want. Consumers hate friction. Uh, But at the same time, then you're assuming a lot onto the network because the device shows up, hopefully doesn't have a static password, but probably does if it has a password at all. And then uh, you plug it into your device and it's like, go. (laughs) So is there anything that you would suggest that consumers think about when they're they're buying these IoT devices? I realize a lot of them that you're talking about are probably enterprise, but our our focus is more on people that are running around buying stuff for their house. Yeah. No, I think with with IoT devices, um, the the thing is, there's a great variety of, of devices. So I think once consumers would be concerned about are mostly devices they would deploy inside their homes. So things like your smart fridge and your thermostat and door opening stuff, it's it's relatively well protected from what we've been looking at lately, which is IoT botnets. And these tend to attack devices that are visible from the internet. And there's a lot of activity going on there because these botnets, what they do is the as soon as the device gets infected with with some sort of ma- with a bot with malware. It starts scanning, looking for other devices, and when it finds one, it compromises them and adds them. So the botnet sort of grows with time, and uh, that's been a, been an issue. But, but as I said, for the general consumer, it's not so much a problem because the, the attackers aren't really trying to break into the residential home and, and, and infect their smart fridge, as it were. They're they're mostly interested in internet enabled, internet visible devices. That's a feeling of relief, even though as a fan of Silicon Valley, I always remember that Guilfoyle actually saved the day through the IoT-enabled refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's been lots of lots of evidence for, you know, all of a sudden people discover that their video surveillance camera that they've deployed outside has been been hacked and is is now, you know, anyone anyone on the internet can can view what's going on in their driveway. So I mean, I'm not saying it's it doesn't happen, but it's it's not as as big as the IoT botnets that are used in these massive DDoS attacks and stuff that you it's more for the professional cyber criminals and, and stuff like that. Yeah, you reminded me that um, Steve Jobs early on, I think it was in 2007, commented that when Apple was trying to create their platform, really as they were, you know, it was a nascent iPhone that was coming out. He said, you know, we've, we're trying to develop a device that could have protections from virus, malwares, all the important things that you want to you know, keep away from your consumer on this mobile device. And you also want to figure out how to make the information keep stay private, which we're, we're seeing they've done a lot more about that in the last two years with um, app tracking transparency. But he noted that sometimes these goals are diametrically opposed because you're trying to make it easy for the consumer to use the device and at the same time protect the device. And so what, what is it is, you know, I know you get into this a bit in your report. Um, I know that Apple has a better reputation than Android. Why, why is that when it comes to security? It's actually a couple of factors. I think, first of all, both companies, both from the Android side and from the iPhone side, They've actually done a pretty good job of securing the device itself. If you compare it, for example, to the uh, you know the the IBM, Microsoft, Windows uh, PC platform, 
Okay. Completely wide open, very little control on who, what was, I mean, everybody was allowed to write apps for it. You can get apps from anywhere. You can do whatever you want. And, and they had a fairly substantial malware issue. I mean, that was viruses were invented and then you'd bots and you'd all sorts of attacks going on and, and things like that. Definitely both Apple and Android, Google, have, have done a pretty good job of securing the, the actual devices themselves. And the way they've done this is they've basically, the, app, the apps that run on these devices run in a sandbox environment where they're only they only basically have impacted themselves. They, they can't see other apps on the device. They can't, you know, they can't get access to the, the disk storage devices or the memory that's used by other apps. So they're fairly isolated. And even if they go rogue, the damage they can do is fairly limited. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing. And then I think Apple has got more, has more success creating a secure environment because they've basically secured, uh, you know, the, the app supply chain, basically. If you want to get an app for for an uh, an iPhone, you go to you go to the Apple Store, and that's the only source of of for, of those apps. So they've, I mean, anyone can write an app for for the Apple for Apple Apple phone. It's just that you have to meet the criteria that Apple set. You have to go out and get a, a a developer's license. You get a certificate they give you that you can use to sign your application. You submit your app to them. They check it out they make sure it matches their policy make sure there's no no uh, malware in it and then they they make it available on the store so they've they've sort of secured the app supply chain i'd say that's the that that's what they've done now no google has also taken steps in recent years to do that they've taken a slightly different approach uh, they've come out with something called uh, well google the apps their app store is uh, google play and they've come out with a, a system called google play protect which is built into the the Android, uh, and what it does is when you install an app, it will whether it comes from a third party or from Google Play, it will verify that that app is is suitable for you know it does not contain malware and it's been suitably vetted. So that, that's a slightly different approach, but those are the two main things: secure environment and securing the app supply chain. That's really helpful. The Department of Homeland Security here in the United States has been um, recently calling for enhanced protection and what they call the Shields Up campaign, just because there's so much uh, churn in the, you know, in the global world right now. And we're seeing a lot more malware and it's important to enhance your stature, I guess is the best way to say it. But they've been calling since 2017 about sideloading of apps and concerned about unauthorized apps, which do also go back to Microsoft, not just um, Apple and Google. Can you explain what the challenges with sideloading? Because I know you're talking about how we're making the hardware kind of harder to get at, but it seems like if you are, it's the software now that's a challenge. Yeah, certainly. I think take a little step backwards. Why are apps? Why are we talking about apps? Uh, and the reason is, is like the 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 phone, the phones themselves are pretty pretty much secure. I mean, phones have been hacked using you know network based attacks, using vulnerabilities, using a whole bunch of different ways, but that's not the common way. The most common way to get malware onto a smartphone is you take an app and you stick the malware in the app, and then you get someone to download it and install it on their phone. Okay, that that is by far the most common way to get malware onto one of these devices. And so what that means is is that it's the supply chain for the apps that becomes the thing that the people attack. Um, Apple's completely locked down. Uh, Google. When you get the phone by default, most Androids will have smart uh, side loading turned off. And so you have to go to Google Play to get the apps. 
But the user, and I think it's, it's valid that the user can choose what they want to put on their device. It's their device after all. Uh, so they can turn off side loading. Uh, sorry, turn on side loading. And then what it means is they can basically download apps from anywhere. Okay. And a lot of app stores are very good and very safe. And that's that's fine. But there's some that, that are not. And there's also the possibility that I could send you, for example, a web link and you click on it and it'll install the app on your phone. So you can basically, that leads to this sort of phishing type of activity where people are sending phishing attacks, emails, text messages with links, click here to get the app, et cetera. And people do that. And then they get, they get into trouble with, with malware and the devices. Yeah, we've definitely seen uh, our our devices become more important to us during COVID, and we're all home, and, and mobile has had a huge uptick. And I, I know you had a, uh, a news release recently about banking malware and threats around that. So what's the main concern in that space? There's different types of malware. And I think the, the one, the, the malware that goes in and steals your money or steals your identity is certainly the highest threat level. So you have to take extra care. A, a banking trojan can literally empty your bank account in a matter of minutes if, 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 it, if it manages to, to compromise you. There's other identity theft too. If people get in and they take things like your social insurance number and, and other personal information like that, they can then use that to, you know, in the background to open up, you know, accounts to, to do other things. So there's, it's more than just the banking trojan. Anything that gets at your identity is a major, can, can be a major problem for you. So that that's what I the biggest concern. I mean, there's also uh, there's ransomware, for example, for a smartphone owner or a laptop owner. Ransomware is not such a big issue. I mean, because all you really have to do is make sure you've got a backup. If if your phone gets falls out of your pocket and gets run over by a bus, it's gone. If some you get ransomware in your phone and it encrypts all your data, it's gone. So you have a backup. It's pretty straightforward to to fix that. But the banking Trojan, once the money's gone, there's no, it's, it can be difficult to replace. So it sounds like you're talking about perhaps not actually downloading what you think you have. You're not downloading the Chase app. You, you look, it looks very similar to it. So it's an imitation app. Let's say I am an idiot and I do that. Um, how do I best remove it? Like once I realize I've made a mistake. It's actually, for the most part, it's quite simple. Because most apps, you know, there's a f- feature on the phone to uninstall the app. So you go in and you just go through that and that will get rid of like 90% of the malware you'd potentially get on your phone. But apps can also, they can disguise themselves and they can protect themselves from being uninstalled. Okay. They can sort of bury themselves deep within the the operating system and and out of sight. With those ones, there's always the, the simple thing is to, you can do a sort of factory reset on the device. Okay. Okay. which sets it back to the way you got it when you bought the device. And that will clean off any additional apps that were installed on it after you, you purchased the device. Then here's the dangerous part. Then you want to restore the apps, say, for example, from the cloud somewhere where you've backed them up, you know, whether it's, so, you know, whatever cloud you, you store your stuff in. And you don't want to go out to the cloud and reinstall the malware. So you want to be careful about the, the things that you put back on your device. It might be a little time consuming. I'm going to put them back on one by one. Yeah. And and make sure you know what the app is and what it does. And it and don't install the one that that, that don't reinstall the one that that impacted you just before the you know the phone blew up type thing. 
Don't do the same thing again. That's very smart advice. <laughs> exactly. And and if if all if all else fails, you can also do a hard reset on the device. You can take it in and have it reflashed. I mean, that's done. You take it into the back to where you purchased it, and they can do a hard reset. So that's that's another another option when all else fails. It sounds like that would also solve another issue I've been reading quite a bit about lately, which are zombie apps where they just stay in your phone. You forget. I mean, I every once in a while have to do just a, I'm doing a spring cleaning, I'm calling it right now, where I, I'm like, I read this article. It sounds like a great idea. I download the app and then I probably don't click on it twice, but it's still active in the background and you forget about that. And it's still oh, yeah. collecting information on you. So same situation with the zombie app. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same. Like sometimes they can actually physically conceal themselves. So in other words, when you, even when you go into your list of apps that are installed, it, it doesn't look like it's there. It looks like it's something else. Okay. So you, you've, it, it can be quite tricky, but generally speaking, if you go in, you can always find it in, in that uninstall dialogue and on your phone, where you can actually say, take this app and get rid of it, uninstall it. You have to be, I mean, they can be quite clever in impersonating other software. Back in 2013, I did a Black Hat presentation where we actually took a copy of the uh, Angry Birds game, you know, very popular game, and sort of basically took downloaded a copy of it and then just using standard software development tools, opened it up, and we actually put some spyware into that app and then, you know, wrapped it up, repackaged it, and you know, basically we we used it for a demonstration to to show the, 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 the fact that it could be done. But what that that the thing that leveraged that is like apps are signed by the developer, okay? So using digital certificates, and that's one thing I think that both uh, I think uh, Apple's done a very good job of ensuring that the apps are signed. So is Google, but there could be a lot more done there. So that when you get an app on your phone, if it displayed this the certificate of the person that, that created the app in a, a reasonable way, that would give you a little bit more confidence that uh, that your app was good. So I think in terms of securing the app supply chain, uh, that there's a few things that could be done by the, the major players, aside from completely locking down the app store. If you have a good app signing certificate type of policy, that works out very well. People know what at least who, who wrote the app they're getting and installing. Um, you probably, I think the Google Play Protect is a good idea. You basically have an app that checks things on your phone. It's sort of like almost like an antivirus app that you have on your phone. I think that's a good idea too. So that's other techniques for ensuring that that app supply chain is secure. And for the individual user, how does the multi-factor authentication, um, how much does that cut down for stealing personal information? Is that, it seems like a pretty easy to do, but again, it's a friction point. Yeah. You're doing anything that's got the potential for loss of identity theft or loss of money or whatever. I would recommend insisting on multi-factor authentication. In other words, if I'm dealing with my bank and they're not using multi-factor authentication, I think there's a problem. It's invaluable. It provides that that uh, just an extra level that you know you you, you think because one of the things that, that the the for example banking trojans do you think you're visiting your bank and you're typing in your credentials, but you're not really doing it. You're actually going to some you know some fake website. I mean, it's a complicated, it's a complex environment. It's the, it's the the malware on the phone combined with a fake website combined with a whole bunch of other things that conspires to sort of lure you in. Multi-factor authentication provides a fairly large protection against a lot of those, those techniques that they use. So I would recommend definitely using that if you can. 
Uh, so I'm looking at the most prolific malware by class in your report in 2021. And we've talked about ransomware, banking trojans, miner. Is that just, that's just information mining? Yeah, um, actually, sorry, not information mi- mining. What it is, is a, a coin miner, a Bitcoin miner. Oh, okay. And, and what it does, this is like, there's a whole cottage industry developed over uh, the, the way Bitcoin works is that ser- you run servers that consume a large amount of computing resources, and they basically validate the Bitcoin transactions. It's a, like an, an international network of these devices. And if you contribute to this, you actually get paid in Bitcoin. So, so there's this whole cottage industry of people hacking into other people's devices and computers and using them for Bitcoin mining. That way they can get sort of paid in Bitcoin for, for this work that they've done. And so that's what a, that's what a miner is. It's something okay, so that's they're doing. using my compute power to get their Bitcoin. Yeah. They're they're not really a huge threat. It's just more of an annoyance because they'll use your computing resources, they'll drain your battery, uh, they'll they'll use power. And then you know you're being sort of operation. It's bright green in your, your report, which got my attention. But then adware actually is a, is more by percent, but you made it gray, so it doesn't have quite the allure. So with adware is just a matter of downloading something that is running an ad network, or what am I doing with adware? Okay, a lot of applications and services are sponsored through advertising, so that's all perfectly legitimate. But there are certain types of malware that what it does it's the malware is earning money by clicking on ads or by presenting ads to you to click on. And it may, if, if the application is doing this, if it makes itself, if, if it's doing it sort of using a sort of a, a suspicious type of technique, if it's sort of like doing stuff under the table that you don't know. For example, it makes itself difficult to uninstall. It, 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 it makes itself, it tries to take over your device. It's, it's popping up things right over the top of your screen. In other words, if it's malicious and, very demanding, very, very intense in its, its way. If it's if it's really annoying, we classify it as adware. I, I love it. Yeah, it is definitely annoying. Well, your your report is definitely worth reading. I, I like that you have a whole section here on how the increase in just you know home operations with COVID. That's definitely something we had to start figuring into our security portfolio. Um, anything else that you recommend? You know what what you're doing in your space that consumers should be thinking about. Consumers, yeah, yeah. I think there's the. We're looking now at 5G security. That's we've, we've sort of that. That's something that's coming up. So, uh, not so much focused on the consumer, but focused on the fact that 5G networks have got more bandwidth. Uh, you've got mobile edge computing, so they're mo- the, the, the service providers are moving their services further out into the network, into the the, the edge of the network. And, uh, you know, this opens sort of the attack surface of the network somewhat. So we're, we're investigating some of that and we'll have some more of that in our, <clears throat> I guess, subsequent reports, like uh, the one we come out with this year and next year. And that's just because the compute is being moved closer to the edge. Yeah. Imagine like you've got applications that are typically used to running in, in data centers that are well, you know, well secured and protected from from from. The, the, the internet. And all of a sudden you take those applications and you move them out to the edge of the mobile network. You know, so in all various little points of presence around a city, for example. So you're really moving data centers from one central location and distributing it around. So that's uh, that that opens up the the security uh, footprint quite quite a bit. 
I know we're just starting to see much more 5G implementation here um, in the United States. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being a guest today on Explain to Shane. We look forward to reading your future reports. Okay. And thanks very much for for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be able to sort of explain some of the security stuff that we've been looking at for for quite some time. So it's uh, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.